Well, hello, White Sox fans, and welcome to another episode of White Sox Daily Live. My name is Ian Eskridge, and uh, I'm here with my co-hosts, uh, Danny Miller and Xavier Sanchez. How you guys doing this evening? Doing pretty good. Uh, ready to get rolling with this show. Xavier? Uh, same here. Same here. All righty, then. Well... Um, <laughs> We're so, off to a great start. Yeah, uh, very lively. So, um, I don't know if you guys saw this week um, on the uh, Twitterverse, you know, uh, that there was some pretty crazy stuff going on, some pretty crazy arguments going on about who the White Sox should and should not sign. And uh, one of the big ones that was a pretty big argument was Michael Conforto. Um, I have seen some of that. Yeah. Uh, So from what I've seen, and this is like, this is exactly what I've based my thoughts on was that his estimated contracts that they're looking at is somewhere in the area of $20 million dollars. And in some places, I've seen as high as five to six years at that rate. Um, I personally was not very stoked on this. However, uh, I did see some uh, some hate on the way back when I said that I was not super stoked on this. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on the Michael Conforto uh, perceived possible signing? Uh, I'm actually going to defer right to Xavier. I have some thoughts of my own, but uh, I know Xavier's uh, Xavier's been keeping an eye on Mr. Conforto, so uh, I'd like to hear what he has to say first. Uh, so in recent weeks, we talked about who, like, what's been one of the biggest holes in who we should look at and right field was at least I think two of ours. Like we, we need to find someone there that's going to be an everyday player, a guy that can play. But I think it's now challenging seeing the numbers of what guys are going to have to be paid. And for that many years, I understand being a little, a little nervous about being, uh, why should, why would we want to pay that? It's like, it sucks that now now we got to pay twenty million plus for Michael Conforto when you could have paid Bryce Harper whatever he gets a year, which is you're getting so much more or like a better like a way better dollar amount for what he will produce. Now you got to almost overpay for these next couple of guys that are available. So I think that's that's going to be the biggest challenge with the team is uh, how long of a contract and how much are you willing to pay. But I do th- still think the right field hole has been the biggest thing that they have to answer for. Yeah. Uh, I can't argue with that. Uh, but, uh, you know, my thought on, on the whole Conforto thing is uh, I really think they're reaching. Uh, there's been a couple of different 
And I'm, when I say reaching, I feel like reaching on uh, his contract or estimated contract value. Um, but we shall see. Uh, it is a little bit of a thinner outfielder market than last year. But, uh, you know, if, if we're going to, if the, let me, let me try this again. Uh, it, one of the big things this off season has been how much money are the White Sox going to spend? And, uh, you know, looking at what we have between the current first threshold and where the payroll sits. And uh, the general consensus is actually that the White Sox probably will make one big splash, at least amongst a lot of the uh, local writers. Um, If you're going to make that one big splash, do you want it to be? Michael Conforto or do you look at guys like Marcus Semyon? you know uh there's a, a Korea guy out there which we really don't need a shortstop but you know uh starting pitching if you're gonna spend 20 million plus dollars a year on someone I think I would rather and it's it's gonna be your only big move of the offseason according to a lot of people as far as, you know, digging into the payroll without making trades or, you know, whatever. Uh, if your one big free agent splash is going to be Michael Conforto, you might want to rethink that thinking whatsoever because you're not going to get Michael Conforto and Semyon. You're not going to get Michael Conforto and a top-of-the-line pitcher. You're not going to get Michael Conforto and four amazing bullpen pitchers. You know, it's not going to happen, so... Uh, that's just kind of my two cents on that whole thing. I think I would rather take that $20 million and put it towards a, a real uh, big signing where maybe it costs you 25, 27, 28 million to get somebody else in a, in a bigger, you know, role. Yeah, that's see, this is my exact conundrum here. And we, we've had this conversation before where I've mentioned that one of my issues with the White Sox is that they are more, uh, it's more of a possibility that the White Sox are going to sign three guys at $8 million than spend $24 million on one guy. And the issue with that is, is that the value never seems to stack up. Never. I mean, even if your guy that you signed for $24 million underperforms, generally from what we've seen from all the past White Sox signings is that if they're signing a guy for $8 million, you can guarantee that he's going to underperform on his value. But if you get a guy that you're paying $24 million, even if he underperforms, generally the value tends to you know, be balanced more towards that one guy. Um how much did they pay Spanky last year? Yeah, eight million dollars. With I thought a, it was nine, but yeah, okay. Well, I think it's with a one million dollar buyout or something like that for the second season. Uh, it was like a gotcha. one. It was like a one million dollar go away clause, or maybe it was seven million dollars with a one million dollar go away clause, and ended up being you know eight million. Um, I knew it was right in that area. I was just kind of you know piggybacking off of what you were saying for you know, I.E. For example, you know, type of thing. 
Yeah. Um, you know, the, the other issue that I had here and, uh, I, I, you know, I got into it a little bit, um, on Twitter and like the thing was, I'm not, you know, I don't try and be disrespectful to anybody, you know, or rude per se, but, um, you know, this last year, 0.8 war for Michael Conforto. And the thing was, is that he started off the season terribly. And uh, basically his April, May, June, and July was one of the worst. It was the worst stretch of his entire career. And so his August and September were closer to his career norms. But my issue is that the first four months of the year, he was non-existent. And even towards later in the year, I I watched a, a, a game like on Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon or something on ESPN, and it happened to be the Mets. And uh, I see him throwing his, his helmet in the dugout and hitting things with his bat because he's not having a very good season. And... Uh, and even that, and that's you know later on in the season, in early September or late August, that I saw this game, and um, at that point, you know he's still super frustrated with himself that he's not getting the job done when it's his job. You know he's coming up to the plate with a runner in scoring position and he didn't get the job done. Um, but then if you go back to 2020, the shortened year, he's 2.1 WAR, which is fantastic looks like a, a world beater out there with a 2.1 war and a here's the kicker a 412 babbit so clearly that's not sustainable no you know and uh no you're getting a little lucky there yeah you're you're getting lucky i mean he hit uh he ended up hitting 322 that season which is phenomenal especially given if you look at the rest of his stats where he's generally somewhere in the 250, 255, 260 area, like for a career average. You know, his entire career is 254, including this year for his average, and a uh, somewhere around uh, 800 OPS, something like that, which isn't, to me, when I look at, as Xavier mentioned, because I did bring this up, um, a couple of times, especially when he won his second MVP the other day, is that there was a left-handed hitting right fielder, power bat, young, basically exactly what the White Sox have been looking for for years. But when he was available, he wasn't worth... Now, I've gotten differing uh, differing slash opinions <laughs> slash, uh, you know, possible <laughs> scenarios, but I have yet to see anywhere where he was actually offered a contract. And the comment from Kenny Williams is that he was out of their range. Yet, you know, about a month later, they're offering roughly around the same amount of money to Manny Machado. So clearly, if they're offering this to Manny Machado, that means that Manny Machado was their guy that they wanted right off the bat and they knew that they weren't going to sign Harper. Now, here we are, you know, Harper's making, you know, $25 million a year or whatever it is, 
And uh, granted, you know, it was like a 13-year contract and like $330 million, but I, like the AAV ends up being like $25 million despite the fact that it was front-loaded a little bit. Um, is that if you're willing, if, if you think that the White Sox should be willing to give Michael Conforto $20 million a year, but they weren't willing to give Bryce Harper 25 it to, to me it just doesn't make an it, it does not compute for me you know i just it doesn't make any sense uh no what do you, do you i mean do you feel the same yeah absolutely i mean you know i know the big knock on on the harper thing was the the amount of years but looking back at that time where the white Sox were and then jumping ahead to where we are now being in the 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 heart of the competitive window where the white Sox are supposed to be competing for a world series. And we've had two, you know, one win playoffs in a row back to back. You got to think that maybe that, uh, that 13 year contract might've been something that they should have been willing to, uh, accept had it gotten you the type of production that Bryce Harper can bring to the lineup year in and year out, at least for the first six, seven, eight years of that contract, you know, obviously he's got to stay healthy to do it, but, uh, you know, you might be willing to eat the back end of that contract if he, you know, starts to tail. And, uh, you know, now we're here. We are talking about guys like Michael Conforto. Um, you know, I, I, I was not against, the Bryce Harper thing, I was a little put off by the length of that contract. But again, looking at where we are now, kind of would love to have him out here on the south side. We might be not be looking at, uh, you know, not having home field advantage in this year's playoffs. We might not be looking at, uh, you know, one win playoffs, let alone making it to another series. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it, it's it's it sucks. <laughs> it sucks to be it, honest with it you. It does. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you look at uh, three years later, we were looking for a right fielder three years ago, knowing that we hadn't had one in years, and hadn't had a left-handed power hitting anything pretty much for years since basically since what since Tommy left. Um, I mean, realistically, I mean, that's more or less what, what you're really looking at for, for a decent left-handed power bat. And we were looking for that three years ago. And since he signed with Philly, uh, he now has a MVP award and his OPS for those three seasons is 985. You know, I mean, think about what a 985 OPS would do for the White Sox. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think about the protection that he would have in this lineup with guys like Jose Abreu, Yoan Moncada, Luis Robert, uh, Aloy Jimenez, Yasmani Grandal. You know, you 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 can't pitch around these guys. You'd have a fat, fat middle of the order that cannot be pitched around. That's uh. You know, OPSs might even go up 
in that, you know, in that situation. So, uh, you know, it's neither here nor there at this point, because obviously the guy's gone for the next 13 years, unless he gets traded somewhere else. <laughs> well, t- hey, 10 years, 10 years, only 10 well, years all right. left. <laughs> well, you're right. 10 years left, but you know, uh, you know, we could beat that drum all day long. And, uh, unless, uh, unless the Phillies are willing to take a trade, you know, for a, for a bag of balls and a couple of low end, uh, you know, double and triple a guys, it's never going to happen. But, uh, yeah, you know, just the comparison with Michael Conforto in that situation and the money that he is, uh, reportedly expecting and commanding, uh, just kind of leaves me with a little bit of a sour taste. Just like to, uh, Make a shout out because we kind of I've been kind of putting it off for a few minutes because we were in this conversation. But thanks for the follow, Voodoo X Seven. Appreciate that, sir. Yeah, yeah. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, that whole uh, that whole thing, you know. And you know, I got uh, I got pushback from several people and uh, see tweets out there saying that uh, they can't believe that uh, somebody would not want to sign Michael Conforto. And I will say this: I'm not against having him here. On the White Sox, I just uh, personally don't want a five or six year deal, you know, for anywhere from eighteen to twenty one million or whatever they're saying that he's going to get for a guy that had less than one WAR last season. For a full season, we're not talking about the twenty twenty sixty game season, right. right? You know, he had two times right. as much WAR, you know, in uh, in twenty twenty as he did twenty twenty one, and that's. That's almost three times the amount of war in 2020 as he did in 2021 in a full season, which is not a good thing. Um, no, and it's tough to use that as a barometer because it is only a 60-game season. We've talked about this before on this show. Uh, a lot of guys may have been pushing extremely, you know, pushing the, 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 the limits of their body uh, a little bit harder, knowing that they didn't have to go a full, you know, they didn't have to go out there 140, 150, 160 times a year. You know what I mean? Now, there could be the other end of that, man, that it was a, you know, uh, COVID shortened season and the break in spring and then into summer camp, uh, you know. But it, we can make these arguments. We don't really know. Uh, That's all in the past. But, you know, it, the, the reality is, is it was less than a one war last year. And, hard to throw money at something like that. So I, I hope. Go ahead. I hope. Say if the White Sox do sign him, I would love for them to sign him just for, if if possible, I hope it is on max, like a three-ish year deal for that amount. Like, of course, Harper would have been a, ten, a million times better of a choice uh, for several reasons. But I hope that they do still look at Michael Conforto because uh, he's definitely an upgrade from what they've had. And he provides, like, what I was saying, consistency. Uh, like, some, like, level uh, over year by year where he's been producing to an extent that's much more than any of our other uh, people they tossed at right field. So, but then I, I don't want them to feel that like desperate where they have to look for him like have that contract to be so long like a more than those amount of years 
and give them th that much more money because I don't. That's what they don't need them for. They need them for the short term, and they obviously they're gonna have to pay up. But I don't want them locked in on a guy like that when they probably won't need them or want them. Yeah. So here, here's my main. Here's the like one of the arguments that I have against giving him that kind of money is that in the last two seasons, he had a really good 60-game season, but then obviously you saw his 2021 was not as good. Nicholas Castellanos, on the other hand, in those same two years, has double the amount of home runs and double the amount of war in those same two seasons. The difference being that he's right-handed, and he's a slightly worse defender. And by slightly... But he's a defensive liability. Yeah, I say slightly because if you look at the D DRS for Conforto and for Castellanos and the UZR 150, the zone rating, is that they're not that drastically different that Castellanos is that much worse of a fielder than Conforto. So it's not like you're looking at some defensive genius out there that's hitting, you know, 245 with a with a nice OBP. You're looking at you know a guy that is you know as opposed to Castellanos, the guy's hitting 300 every year and hitting 35 home runs. You know? It's just And uh could you imagine you know those I can imagine those numbers uh creeping upward, at least the power numbers creeping upward playing 82 or 81 games a year on the south side it's 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 dumb but the reason i like uh nick castellanos a couple seasons back i had him on his on my fantasy team so ever since then i was like man i would love to have a guy like that on the south side and you're talking about the defense when they're so close like that uh it reminds me of basketball a lot of teams in basketball say they don't want players because they stink on defense. The rest of your team lets up 100 points anyways. If this guy <laughs> can produce offense, who cares? Especially when those two guys are so close. Yeah, it's a great defense. point. Yeah, we watch the game with our eyes. Fielding percentage is definitely the way to go. I also like to look at errors. That's a that's a big one for me as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, the... Uh, thing that i've heard on uh some of the big guy podcasts you know when you're looking at the uh, nbc sports uh with uh archuk and stuff and one of the guys that uh archuk seemed you know in their free agent predictions the guy that he said that the white Sox were going to get was was uh semian and i i mean i would not be angry However, you know, you want to pay for what they're going to do and what not what they've did or, you know, what they have done in the uh, in the past. And that for Semyon kind of is one of those things where, you know, I worry about that. But, you know, I, I don't really know. Uh, this is going to be a, a tough decision for the front office. Well, he, my thought process on that is, is, you know, Honestly, I, I'm with you. I'd like to throw Conforto, just to toss his name out of the conversation altogether. But uh, I personally would rather have Castellanos just because he seems like, you know, a lot of people think, I don't know what this is, but he's, I get into these conversations with him and they act like he's old. 
because he's been around for a few years. The guy's only 28. He's gonna, he's, go, he's going into his 28 season, I believe. I don't know. Whatever it is. Uh, Semyon's 31, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's older. And, you know, there's this familiarity that comes with him. You know, obviously the White Sox drafted him not once but twice. Uh, developed him in their own system before he, uh, you know, went away. But uh, I don't know. You know, you see a guy come into his own like like Marcus has the last couple of seasons. Um, you know, talk in, in being an MVP. VP, hold on, let me try that again. MVP <laughs> talks and uh, you know, going out and hitting forty plus dingers at a position that's not really known for uh, dingers since he's made the move over to second base up in uh, Canada. But. Uh, <laughs> uh, the only thing about him, though, is, you know, a lot of people are saying that his numbers, uh, as far as, you know, expected contracts, are not exactly ginormous, uh, possibly because of his age, it's possibly because, because of the age, of, yeah. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, I, it's, I imagine, and I know it's been talked about a lot, they have not been quiet about it, that the Blue Jays are willing to throw a bunch of money at him to keep him around. Is what it sounds like. They really sound like they want to keep him around. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of other teams throwing their hats and the rings on him. So I, I don't know where these projected numbers that are coming out that are out there right now are coming from. But I expect to be a li- at least a little bit of a bidding war on him. Um, I personally would rather see a Nick Cassianos, regardless of his defensive prowess. So uh, just, just to clarify is that uh, Castellanos will be 30 in spring training next season. And, oh, is that? Uh, okay. Semyon, I thought he was younger. Yeah, Semyon is 31 uh, currently, uh, but uh, he'll be in 30. You know, his uh, birthday is in August, so um, or September. Sorry. So he just so he yeah so he won't. He's actually they will consider this as age 31 season. So really, um, only that, about a year apart. It's uh, okay. Anyway, yeah, as you were saying, Xavier. <laughs> Uh, back to Cassianos for one moment. Uh, this is kind of dumb, but they people joke that he when whenever something bad was going on, he hit a lot of home runs. Uh, imagine Cassianos on our team on the White Sox last year, and every time someone went down, he had one of those games. It felt like we had that same uh, bad juju going on. And the Cassianos, you know, when something bad happened, he turned up. Yeah, see, the thing about that uh, Nic- Nicholas Castellanos guy is he's got the T-dub-T-dub. The will. The will to win, yes. That's yes, what he has. Um, I, I mean, I you know, I, I agree that uh, that whole thing's kind of silly uh, in general. Uh, you know, because there is there is no metric, there is no way to uh, fortify your argument saying that somebody's got the fire. But I mean, you just see the way that he acts, and he has that fire, you know, which they're trying to uh, have on the White Sox, you know, which is exactly why they uh, signed Adam Eaton is for that kind of grit. Mm. Yeah, that kind of <laughs> grit right into the. Uh... Ball pole with a knee, you know. It, uh, he's got the uh, the Aaron Rowan uh, disease of uh, face planting when he doesn't need to. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's brought up that uh, Tim has that fire and Liam has that fire as well. And They uh, do. That Castellanos was uh, awesome against the White Sox when he was with Detroit, which he was. That guy was – it's like him and Victor Martinez, every single time they came up against the White Sox, it was like guaranteed at least double. So aggravating. Yeah. I don't even want to talk about it. It it it, it gives me uh oh, it gives me what do they call that in, in Italian? The agita. It gets it gives me the uh gives me the old willies in the in the gut there, man. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, there there's been uh also there was the uh the rumor that was around for about an hour or so over the last week, which was the Justin Verlander is being <laughs> heavily pursued by the White Sox. And uh, then his brother, uh, Ben, who is also a Twitch uh, content creator on here, um, he uh, broke the news that Justin was indeed staying put in Houston, which uh, not really that much of a surprise. Um, but, uh, yeah. How would you – you just you know, what are you feeling? Are, are you thinking uh, – what are you thinking about the starting pitching? Because we know that we have to replace Carlos Rodon. Either A, he's going to come back, or B, they're going to have to replace him with something because they're not going to be able to ride with what they've got more than likely. Xavier, have at it, bud. I'm still kind of unsure what's going to go on between the Saxon and Rodon or who they end up getting. But just by these numbers that are already thrown out for the few guys that we have seen sign, uh, it's it's going to be a r- really tough uh, off season to bring in guys with like what we perceive as the amount of money they're willing to spend. Just because Verlander, as good as he's been, he just got twenty five million at thirty nine years old, uh, and Rod- Rodon and some of these other guys are much younger, and you expect them to at least. Now look to be like, yeah, I deserve a little bit more now too. So I'm a little nervous to see how this is going to play out. Yeah, uh, I have to agree with you uh, on both counts. Uh, You know, when you see guys, like you say, creeping up into their 40s, uh, getting the amount of money that uh, Justin Verlander did. Granted, you know, it's only for a season. Uh, And then you hear guys talk about, uh, Max Scherzer, you know, want you know, bring Max Scherzer over to the White Sox, and you know, you got to think, well, how much money is that going to cost you? It's going to cost, but right. <laughs> I mean, the guy's got two different color eyeballs, you know. Hey, so I mean, it might be worth it just right, for that. Right. <laughs> He's a unicorn. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, to be honest with you, I think, again, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think Carlos Rodon, as good as he was this past season, uh, you know, has had that injury history that's followed him his whole career. And he, we saw, you know, all of us firsthand saw how he, uh, you know, had some fatigue at the end of the season or, you know, what you want to call dead arm, um, you know, I think that keeps his price tag low. And, you know, Rick Hahn has been known to uh, get creative in the uh, area of contracts. Uh, you know, dealing with Boris clients especially 
has been kind of a, uh, you know, a, a tough sledding for the White Sox over the years. But uh, as recently as we've been, you know, hearing from many of the different news outlets, it's 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 been a little bit more of a, or I should say less of a conundrum. You know, the White Sox have shown a little bit more willingness to deal with Boris clients. So I think, you know, there's a possibility that Carlos comes back. I personally would like to see it try to happen just because I think he's going to be that guy that's going to get a little bit less money than the big names like Scherzer and, and you know, throw out any of the other top pitchers' names uh, just because of his injury history. And, uh, you know, the fact that he's a lefty. There's not a whole lot of lefty starters that are going to slide right slot right into our rotation right now that are worth big dollars unless, you know, unless you're going really, really big. So, yeah. uh, you know, the only other lefty in the rotation right now is uh, DK. And, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about it before. None of us are feeling real comfortable about that. So uh, I personally would hope that that's the guy they uh, they court and sign in the long run. But uh, I've talked about that a lot. So I guess I'll just uh, go ahead and stop here. Cause we, you know, we had a whole show about it last week, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it was starting pitching last week and we are going to go into uh, the relief pitching here in a little bit. Um, yeah. Old, uh, you know, uh, Diddy, Diddy Kong. I think it's Diddy Kong DK. Cause it's not DK? Donkey Kong. It's not Donkey Kong. It's the, yeah. the little version. <laughs> There you go. Um, yeah, so I don't know. This is like uh, one of the one of the issues with uh, Twitter is that uh, certain people get into an echo chamber and think that you know there's there's only one right answer, and um, I don't know. We're going to see how creative they can get and see if they can't uh, turn the negative into the po- into a positive because you know we've got. We've seen that they've got multiple holes to fill here. You know, you've got second base, right field, relief, pitching. More than likely, they're going to at least need one or two guys uh, that you would probably think, you know, we've talked about this, that we were hoping that they might make a run at Tapera again, um, who also did have a career year last year. So there is that. So, you know, you're banking on career year with the, with the thing. But, again, you're more than likely not going to be paying him, you know, 10, you know, he's not going to get anywhere close to 10 million. It's going to be one of those smaller signings uh, because it was one year so far. Um, I don't foresee him getting, you know, somewhere in the uh, $10 million range or anything crazy like that. Um, I would think somewhere more, more along the lines of, you know, somewhere in the four or five, maybe max, I would think. Um, I'm thinking probably four-ish. Yeah, but I mean, you, you know, the White Sox have holes that they that they have to put at least a warm body in one of them, and then possibly go big for the other one. So now I've heard uh, another thing I've heard out there is that the uh, White Sox need to sign a second baseman because they've got nobody to fill the second base hole. Meanwhile, now I've seen this uh, in a couple of spots, so I'm not going to single anybody out, but that we have somebody that we can plug into right field. 
but we don't have anybody for second base, and that's why we should sign Marcus Semien this offseason. So is that where your guy's head is at? Is that you think that – are you thinking that they need to plug right field or are you saying that you're only going to get one? And I'm not even bringing the starting pitching or the relief pitching into this. Um, just if you had to choose one position to throw a lot of money at, which one are you going to choose? You know, especially judging by who are the free agents this season. <laughs> Why are you going to put me in these positions? Man? I mean, it's it's a it's a realistic <laughs> question because it, no, it really there is, it there really is, is not a Bryce Harper out there right now. You know, no, when you look not. at your outfielders, your your option your options more or less are uh, Conforto. Uh, Starling Marte is out there, who I, who I do like. Um, I mean, there's not really a whole lot of huge, huge options out there. Castellanos, obviously, and then, you know, if you were feeling uh, very brave, although he has shaped himself into much better outfielder, there's Schwarbers out there, because he hasn't re-signed with the Red Sox yet, like is coming. Um. But you know there there are a few outfielders. But meanwhile, the the infielder guys that you've got, there's a bunch of guys that are available. However, most of them seem to be shortstops. And yeah. you know with with the Blue Jays last year, Semyon took one for the team and played second base because they had Bichette at shortstop. So basically, whoever he's, he's been vocal about not wanting to stay there. He's wanted to be, well, at least maybe not recently, but last season, you know, before taking that second base position, he was pretty vocal about wanting to, you know, stay being a shortstop. So, you know, there's that. But uh, and when you bring up this, it is a valid point. It is definitely a valid point. If you're only going to get one or the other and, you know, I guess it's kind of true that there is somebody on the White Sox that you can plug into right field if you want to throw, say, Andrew Vaughn or Gavin Sheets out there, uh, which I actually think Gavin Sheets is probably going to be our everyday regular DH as long as he continues to do what he did uh, last season. But, um, yeah, uh, you know... If you get a Marcus Semyon on a on a deal that it, it is a, you know affordable that doesn't keep you from pursuing other positions and he's okay with playing second base, especially coming back to the organization that drafted him twice, you know I yeah I'd, I'd be okay with that. I, don't get me wrong, like it, it, you know definitely an upgrade over Cesar Hernandez. You know we seen uh where we we heard uh. Rick Hahn earlier this week in a press conference say that uh, they had not closed the door on Cesar Hernandez. And I've seen multiple posts in multiple Facebook groups and on Twitter about how, you know, oh, you guys saying that uh, he's not going to come back. Well, look at this. And literally Rick Hahn had one, one little blurb about him saying we did not close the door on him. Uh, I wouldn't read into that too much. I think that's, you know, Rick Hahn saying the things that he's supposed to say and saying that, you know, maybe we'll spend money other places. But uh, if we're looking at need, 
yeah, maybe second base is a little bit more of a need, even though we have been pining for that right fielder for so many years. Second base might be more of a need. But then again, you know, you were talking about putting Andrew Vaughn in right field, which now he was a serviceable outfielder this year. He wasn't awesome, but he was a serviceable outfielder. Uh, or, you know, a Gavin Sheets on right field. Oh, those guys can play right field. We need a second baseman. Well, you know what? You know, it's really no different than Romy Gonzalez going out and playing second base. You're talking about two fairly untested outfielders. You know, one season of Andrew Vaughn is not uh, a career make. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm personally, I think they're both an awful person to slot in right field and expect that to be your guy. I mean, small sample sizes for both of these guys and, you know, right. especially for sheets because he's only had like what, 120 at bats or whatever, 160 at bats or something. And grant, you know, granted he, he did. Okay. You know, he did, he did better than okay. He did really well for <clears throat> a rookie that, uh, you know, in the left-handed power bat, it was a nice, a nice little spark. However, the thing is, he's not a right fielder. No, he's not an outfielder. I mean, he can we could, he can go out there and he can take reps with his dad all he wants, but <laughs> he's you know you're you're going on what year two of being an outfielder. Meanwhile, you know these other guys have been playing it for their entire careers, right? And that's not just year two for you know Kevin Sheets. It's year two for Andrew Vaughn. Andrew Vaughn was never an outfielder. He was he was drafted as a first baseman. He was drafted as Jose Abreu's eventual replacement. Uh, so, yeah, you don't necessarily have somebody that you can just plug and play out there. So, that, I mean, that, you know, it's a fair question, but I don't know if I necessarily agree with the argument. So, uh, I personally would rather see what uh, Romy Gonzalez can do or, you know, one of our other younger prospects because second base because I'd like to see a power hitting corner outfielder that we have lacked for so many years. It's just, it is what it is. Well, but. as you may be noticed, uh, is that uh, I am wearing my, to celebrate the end of the Arizona Fall League, I am wearing my Glendale Desert Dogs hat this evening. And uh, speaking of young guys who who could possibly get a shot at playing second base next year, uh, could talk about uh, a possible very, very distant cousin of our very own Xavier Sanchez here. Uh, Yolbert Sanchez finished on the Desert Dogs with the third highest OPS on the team with a 1,048 OPS. Uh, had 18 total bases and 35 at-bats. Uh, had 10 walks against two strikeouts. Um, that continues and adds upon his really, really nice season that he had in minor league baseball. And they signed him and said he was probably going to be a quick mover in the system and that he could play defensively. He could have played second base right off the bat, but now it looks like the bat has caught up. So if I was going to argue for any position that we have somebody that could fill in it would be at second base because I don't see the other guys being the, the right fielder of the future. Um, Absolutely. Bo- 
both of them being first baseman. You know, and, and the thing is, is I like both of them. I've liked, you know, I've liked Gavin Sheets for a few years. I didn't know if the power would come, but he comes up and he's smacking, you know, smacking the ball all over the place this year, which is fantastic. Con- yeah, them concourse shots, man. Oof, they're fun to watch. Yeah. They really are. So, you know, personally, you know, I'm I'm more of the uh, Starling Marte kind of guy, personally. Granted, he's never played right field in the majors that I know of. Um, well, if you can play center field, you can play right field. Exactly. If you're a center fielder, you could probably play right field. Um, and he has played left field. I mean, obviously, the ball is going to, you know, Dealing with the uh, the side spin on the ball is going to be a little bit different in right field than it's going to be in left field, or even in center for that you know for that matter. Um, but I think he could probably figure it out. Um, and I would rather see a guy like that, uh, a guy that's you know stealing forty bases a year in right field, and pair him up with Luis Robert in the outfield. And then if you've got Aloy in left field, at least you've got uh, a right fielder that is competent. And you would not see something like you saw in Houston with Larry Garcia with the, you know, turning yourself three <laughs> times before the ball finally flies over your head. Um, oh, Lord. What do you think well, about that? I want to I, I back the truck up here for just a second okay. because, I, you know, looking at the chat, uh, White Sox Premium K brings up uh, – Something that's been talked about a lot in the in the Twitterverse and and on social media is uh, a guy who had a pretty good postseason, who kind of fits a, a similar mold as Leary Garcia, but only does it better in uh, Chris Taylor. And uh, I kind of want to think about what you guys, uh, you know, we I know we've talked about it a little bit on the show in the past, but what's your feeling? there do you see him more as a everyday second baseman do you see him as an everyday right fielder do you see him as just a awesome utility guy that doesn't play either one every day i see him as a better leori you know i mean yes can he play both of those positions yes he can play both of them but i think that uh he's one of those guys that like leori we've seen that he is better off suited moving around than he is in one spot and playing every single game. It just seems to me that he is a really, really talented utility guy. Right. And I'm glad you said that because my kind of my, my thought on him, God, I am having a difficult time today, Mr. <laughs> Stutters. Uh, my thoughts on him is basically, you know, this is a guy who had a bit of an outburst last season. Who, yes, he has been consistently better than Luria Garcia as a utility man, but uh, as an everyday player, I don't think we've ever really seen what we saw out of him, especially at the end of the season and into the postseason for him. It was not, it's it wasn't his typical uh, career norms. It wasn't a lot higher than his career norms, but. Uh, I mean, it, the the offensive outburst that he had in the off season, or I'm sorry, in the postseason was uh, was pretty special, and not something that I feel like I could expect from him on a game to game basis, playing the same position day in and day out. Just my personal opinion. Yeah, it seems like you know if if you look at his at his stats, he he's had uh, 
he had 20 homers this year, which was uh, compared to the two years beforehand, it was you know two full seasons bef- beforehand, uh, 19 and 20, or uh, sorry, 18 and 19, um, is that his home run total was a little bit lower in those years, but in 2017, he had 21 home runs. The guy can hit. You know, he's a he's a fairly decent hitter. Um, you know, but see, when you look at his seasons where he's got, you know, this last season, you know, he needs to get those f- close to 600 at-bats, you know, 550-plus at-bats to get up to that home run total, you know, which, you know, says that, suggests that he is not a power hitter. Yes, he can hit a home run here and there, but he's not a power hitter. But comparatively to, you know, say what a Larry Garcia will do, he's got a lot more power than that. That's why I think that he's best suited as a utility player because he's not, uh, doesn't have enough power to be a right fielder, really. You know, no, but a lot of pe- a lot of people would say twenty home runs out of your second baseman is pretty outstanding. True. So, just a thought. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I I'm just, not gonna argue that. You got anything to add on uh, Chris Taylor, Xavier? Uh, no. I I know we've talked about him a little bit in the past. I just. I saw the comment about him playing multiple positions, but I'm still well, just the guy that I I just want someone, whatever answer we do, I just want a guy who plays that every day. Like I don't care if they play every position. I want a guy who is just gonna produce, and then just play the one position. As not, not not every as good as it is to have like backup. And, and many of for everything uh it doesn't have to be that way the whole for every player one uh, some of these guys can just play their one position and just focus on that one thing only because then you you run the risk of like confusion and not like fully grasping what they were there to do in the first place you'll end up with more eloy incidents Okay. I yeah. I, I uh, again don't disagree with that at all. I think uh, I think you hit some pretty fair points there. Uh, and I think Ian and I are probably in the same boat. We would like to see an everyday right fielder play right field because we haven't in so freaking long. Imagine that. Yeah. This. Uh, uh, you I know, do like it, Chris Taylor. Chris Taylor is probably uh, like somewhat of an upgrade somewhere, but. You, I, yeah, I'm he's an upgrade like, on Leori. That's what he is. <laughs> yeah, and see, that's that's the issue that I have is that he's an upgrade on Leori, but defensively, he's not a wizard at second base. You know, he's he's okay. He's but he's slight no. slightly below. Uh, you know, slightly below when it when you're looking at uh, DRS, he's just a little bit of a tiny bit of a liability. Not like not even a full run over. A hundred innings or whatever, but it's it's close, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, my final thought on Chris Taylor, I'll, I'll give you my my two cents since I brought him up and since I saw it in the chat. Actually, uh, Kendall brought him up, but uh, I will say this: if there is a possible way to sign that everyday right fielder, 
and get Chris Taylor to fill Larry Legend's shoes, I'm all in. Yeah, all in. Let's I, do it. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Yeah, if I could get a Chris Taylor, uh, but not have him be the second base or right field upgrade, I'd be really stoked. However, I don't see that happening. Right. I mean, I'm not saying that he wouldn't be an upgrade over Leori. Um, It'd be a heck of an upgrade offensively. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's that's the thing is that, you know, that's great. Um. Bozy says, I heard Chris Taylor's rest time above replacement is excellent. TLR will love sitting him every Tuesday. I, you know, if he, if he is Larry's replacement, that guy's not sitting ever. He's going to play 162 games. That guy is going to get zero rest. He might even pitch a few innings. It's entirely possible. Entirely possible. Um, yeah, so anywho, uh I think that uh I would be comfortable if they were to go ahead and sign a Starling Marte for right field if he was interested in that kind of thing that if they were to spend bigger at second base, I'd be fine with that. I would also be fine with if they went into next year with Starling Marte at right field said that Romy and Yolbert were going to have a fight to the death for the starting position at second base. And then they went out and signed a big, uh, like something, somebody like a Max Scherzer, you know, uh, and put a lot of money down on a starting pitcher to make sure that we have that guy who's going to stop no matter, you know, that's going to come out and have what it takes and knows what it takes to win a World Series. That yeah, would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, a, a starting pitcher who's been playoff tested and proven time and time again. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I would be okay absolutely. with that too. Yep. You know, if you, if those three things that you just said happen, I would say that's a a heck of an off season for this White Sox team. Yeah, uh, and, and I'm sure you could. There'd still be a little bit of money left to uh, fill a couple spots in the bullpen. And uh, as we uh, get progress with the show here. Because this is going to be our uh, bullpen grading show, uh, and I believe we're talking about catchers as well this week. Uh, I, th- I was thinking about putting it off till next week. I don't know. I didn't. Okay. Uh, I didn't. Right. I didn't do it. Uh, I didn't prep for it. Um, well, you know, the only reason I bring it up is because uh, that's also another uh, position of need. Is uh, you know, as we've seen, Yasmani Grandal is not bulletproof, and uh, there does need to be somebody behind him. And right now that we're lacking that. So it's going to be uh, another position that uh, Rick Hahn and company are going to have to uh, look at as well this offseason. So, uh, you know, the money's got to be spread out. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be some trade options out there, whether or not uh, they hit on those is a whole nother story. But, you know, there's holes. They got to be filled and they got to be filled somehow. So uh, let's just uh, not hold our breath too much. And, uh, you know, that creativity that I've, I've talked about a few times, I, I got to think that uh, there is going to be some money spent and that, uh, you know, Rick Hahn's got a, a couple of tricks up his sleeve because he's uh, he's been pretty good about keeping those tricks up his sleeve the last few seasons. So, man, fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed. Oh, one of the 
you know, since you bring this up, um, the catcher's position, one thing that happened this week was the declarations for the 40-man for the Rule 5 draft, which is supposed to happen on, uh, you know, in early December with the GM meetings, but with the CBA coming up is that it looks like it's going to get postponed. Uh, One of the rumors I did hear is that the Rule 5 draft would not happen until after the CBA was taken care of, which is a interesting scenario. But uh, back to my original point is that uh, Carlos Perez was not put on the 40-man and has not been protected for the Rule 5 draft, which slightly disturbing. seems to me a very, very odd thing, considering what he did this summer for the Barons. To me, it seems, I don't know, I do not feel comfortable with him not being on the 40-man. I, I kind of have a feeling that he, you know, catchers is one of those positions where if you've got somebody that's close to major league ready, you have to hold on to him, you know, and uh, putting him, you know, kind of dangling him out there where somebody can just go ahead and yoink him, to me seems like a really bad idea. Yeah, and, you know, it's a position of need across the game. Exactly. Somebody's yeah. going to scoop that up. That's my thinking as well. It's like if, you know, and the thing is, is that there were obvious holes in Zach Collins and Sebi Zavala's game. If you were going to dangle them out there on the Rule 5 a few years back, I think that you probably would have been safe leaving them out there because people would have had enough doubt in one skill set or the other to not want to stash them on their, you know, on their 25 at the at the time 25 man roster for an entire season because they wouldn't know if they could hack it. However, he is good enough with the glove and in the minors has shown that he can hit the baseball. Now whether he'll be able to do that in the majors, I don't know, but he's done it in double A in hitters parks and thrived. And now you're leaving him unprotected to me, seems like it's a risky decision. And as Kendall mentions, they have like five slots open on the forty man as well. Which to me, I am tr- I like I'm trying to wrap my head around why they haven't protected. Like he was one of the guys that I was like, oh, they have to, they have to protect him, and then they left him off. And what's the thinking leaving any of those slots open? Every last one of those slots should be filled. Apparently, they think Regardless. they're going to sign five guys between now and December 1st. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe they know something we don't. Maybe there's uh, maybe there's some handshake deals uh, in place. Maybe they're feeling pretty confident about some talks they're having. I don't really know. But, I mean, whew, that's uh, yeah, I, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. I, I, yeah, I just – I don't – I – like you said, maybe there's something going on. I just don't know. Yeah, see, now, I think the minor league Rule 5 actually might be happening. Um, beforehand, it, it might happen anyway. Uh, just the major league version, the major league Rule 5 is definitely not happening. But I don't quote me on that. 
I just seem to remember seeing something that uh, mentioned that. Uh, I do not have an answer for that. All I know is that he is Rule 5 eligible. I would assume that uh, because he's eligible for uh, the Rule 5 that he's probably exposed there as well. But I could be, you know, I, I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah, one of those things that's just kind of got me just a little bit nervous. Um, all righty, so moving on, um, we've hit, uh, hit all those things. Uh, I guess we can uh, move on to... You, uh, yeah, what's up? Really, really quickly, do you have one of those uh, logos available? Oh, I do, yeah. Okay, good. I'm, uh, I'm going to... Just take about uh, a minute here. Yeah, do your thing, man. Uh, Roger. There we go. Oh, pretty. Yeah, nice, huh? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, moving along, you know, I'm gonna wait for uh, I'm gonna wait for Danny if we're gonna start this whole thing up with the uh, with the bullpen. Um. Let's see here. do you mean what does expose what what do you mean with that well so there's the uh is that if you don't throw them on your 40 man roster they're going to be uh available Snatched. for the rule 5 draft um and you know you'd have to throw them on the 40 man to to make sure that that happens i just i'm not 100% clear and i would have to go and look uh what the difference is between the MLB and the MI, you know, in the minor league version of the uh, of the Rule Five. I know that the minor league guys, you don't have to put them into the twenty-six man roster for the entire year, but I don't know what the qualification is to get the guy in the minor league section of the Rule Five. That's the part that I'm unclear of. So. Well, actually, let's see what see what the di- what the difference is. All right. All right. Simplest way to explain the Rule 5 draft is a way for teams to snap up players who are buried on other teams' rosters, providing them with a clearer path to the major leagues. Um, any player on a team's 40-man roster is protected from the Rule 5 draft and cannot be picked. Additionally, any players who have not been professionals long enough are also ineligible for the Rule 5 draft. For any pro who signed their initial contract as an 18-year-old or younger, that player becomes eligible for the Rule 5 draft after their fifth press, uh, professional season. Uh, anybody that signed at 19 or older, it's their fourth professional season. Um, now... The difference between the major and minor league, that's where I'm kind of unclear. Um, minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. Any player who is on the 38-player AAA roster is protected from being picked in the minor league Rule 5 draft. Okay, so there's there's the answer is that 
Um, if you've got them on your 38-man AAA roster, they can't be picked in the minor league side of the Rule 5 draft. However, in the case of Carlos Perez, um, they might throw him on the Knights roster. In fact, I would pretty much bank on it, so I wouldn't expect to lose him in the minor league side of the Rule 5. Um, but I would not be surprised if somebody like, I don't know, um, somebody like the Rangers. I would not be surprised if the Rangers were to go and claim Carlos Perez in the regular Rule 5. Would not surprise me one bit. So, I don't know. To me, that's a, uh, I don't know. To me, it seems pretty risky, but... You know, stranger things have happened. People have passed through, you know, the uh, Rule 5 unpicked up. So, you know, I, we'll see We'll see what happens. I don't know. I don't like it. So. Oops. Like we got A back. Is Danny, are you back? I am back. I am ready to go. All right. There you go. All right. Great. All right, so um, sorry that uh, coffee was running through me. Hey, man, you do you do you. Um, so as far as the, I'll save that for after the show. All right, uh, the <laughs> White Sox bullpen, um, as we discussed in the previous uh, pod slash stream, is that the White Sox bullpen, who we thought were overused, were actually quite underused when you look at the total amount of innings pitched. Um, if I remember correctly, I think they were something along the lines of like 28th or something like that as far as total innings uh, usage. However, um, the White Sox bullpen did uh, rank second with 7.FF war, uh, second only to the Tampa Bay Rays bullpen, with a 7.9. Now, the difference here, and this shows you how good the White Sox bullpen was, is that 7.9 war for the Tampa Bay Rays, 150 more innings pitched by the Tampa Rays, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays bullpen to get that extra 0.1 war. So that says the White Sox bullpen was pretty stinking good we saw some really ugly performances out there from a couple of guys but for the most part they were pretty stinking good um now they were also uh second in major league baseball with a 10.58 k per nine uh they were second only to the milwaukee brewers who had that uh that uh hater guy and uh yeah the other guy with the uh, with the crazy changeup, you know, who was also pretty stinking good. Um, so, you know, seeing a big number put up by the White Sox bullpen is what they said that they were going to do. Now, there was a lot of complaints about the bullpen this year, a lot. Um, to see that kind of a number attached to the White Sox bullpen, knowing that they did it with almost the least amount of innings. Uh, seeing a 7.8 war out of the bullpen, to me, makes me feel 
don't know, slightly confused a little bit at the end of the year to see that kind of a number, but it also makes me say, that's pretty stinking good. Maybe they do know what they're doing. What do you think? Um, yeah, in the, in the chat here, we're seeing that, uh, it, it says a lot of that was Hendricks and I believe Hendricks was what, like a 4.4. That's fine. Yeah. Somewhere along those lines. So are you, I mean, he accounts for over half of that. Well, he was also their, he was also their, no, you know, like their big pickup last right. year he in was, the, in the he off was season. The biggest, he was the biggest off season pickup. Well, uh, I mean, I guess Lance Lynn could be looked at that way as well, but I mean, you know, as far as free agents go, that was your big free agent pickup. Right. So he did what he was uh, supposed to do. Right. Uh, he ended up being, uh, being named the uh, reliever of the year. So, you know, he's got those accolades going for him. Uh, but again, it, you know, it, it was what he was supposed to do, but where does that leave the rest of your bullpen? Uh, you know, we talked about some bad performances overall. If you want to look at that, that overall, you know, war number and say they were stinking good, I, you know, for the most part, I would say, yeah, they were pretty good. Uh, but there were a handful of question marks out there where we thought they were going to be absolutely dominant had they repeated, you know, the 2020 campaign or anything close to it. Uh, you know, 2021 didn't quite look or feel the same. So, you know, as good as that number is, you know, there's still holes. Yeah. So Liam Hendricks with a 2.7 F4. So he did have a large percentage of that total. But the the thing is, is that you had four relievers over a one war. You had Garrett Crochet with a 1.3, Bummer with a 1.2, and Kopech with a 1.1. So you had some big, uh, some big time innings coming from some of those guys, you know, and some big time numbers coming from those guys, uh, you know, oh, you know, almost a twelve K to nine for uh, Bummer, for Kopech a thirteen point zero one K to nine, and uh, here's a strange one: is that uh, Garrett Crochet ten point seven seven. That velo drop seems to have really put a dent in uh, his swing and miss, which you know we talked about numerous times on this show. Um, this just you know at the end of the year you look at it and you go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I was seeing less miss bats. This tells me less less miss bats. Um, the other question I have that it, it goes into that too is. Uh... You know, some of those extra runs that were given up by not holding uh, runners on extending innings, you know, pitchers not even looking at the runner on first base. Literally, I mean, we saw times where there were innings upon innings upon innings, one on top of the other, where pitchers didn't even look at runners on base, whether it was first or second. Yeah. Uh, you know, those kind of things could play into some of the struggles that these guys had uh, and that goes along with our catchers as well. Not being able to, uh, you know, even have a chance or an opportunity to throw runners out. So, you know, I, I guess when you kind of put it all together, I would say, yeah, for the most part, it was a decent season out of the bullpen. Um, I just feel like, uh, you know, the feeling going into last year was that that was the place where 
most of us felt was probably our strongest area going into the 2021 season. Yeah, and if you look, you know, as as mentioned in the chat, is in the playoffs. In the play in, playoffs. In the playoffs. Playoffs. You look at the starters. ERA is like ten something. The White Sox bullpen. I think their ERA was something in like three, like the low threes, if I remember correctly. So the bullpen did what they were supposed to do when they were supposed to do it. Starting staff, not so much. You know, not to throw anybody under a bus or whatever, but, you know, when it came time to do the thing, they showed up. There weren't a really a whole lot of really bad innings uh, as as far as the uh, the relief pitching goes. I mean, Liam in the last game, bad last inning. Um, Kimbrell had a rough one. Uh, but for the most part, you know, not not too bad. And down the stretch, they, you know, as mentioned also in the chat, I said, bummer, he got better in the last couple of months. And that's the thing, you know. They were already 20 games ahead of 500 when Bummer finally started to get it going. And he got it going at the right time, ramping up for the later part of the season. The unfortunate thing is that the offense and the starting pitcher started doing this as we went. So whose fault, you know, like are, are, can we really say anything legitimately bad about the bullpen in the last couple months of the season because for the most part they, they held up their end of the bargain uh the pen is indeed mighty <laughs> i see what you did there yeah well you know i kind of kind of danced around that one a little bit but um yeah so i don't know i thought they did a a pretty stinking good job yes there were some really really ugly uh performances out there uh you some know. of which could be blamed on a uh, bad uh managing there you know there was a little bit of that uh you know the uh the most bloated stat you'll see out there is the uh 10.93 xfip of of one uh Yermin mercedes uh with a 18.00 walk 9 which uh Clearly, he is not. Uh, he does not have much of a future as a uh, as a pitcher. No. <laughs> no. That, uh, that that his Bocephus is uh, not. Yeah, it's it's not going to do much for him in his career. Yeah. Um. I will say that probably one of my favorite uh, stat lines on here is Aaron Bummer's stat line. Because his BABIP is pretty good. It's not it's not elite, you know, it's a two ninety-eight BABIP. But seventy-six point one percent ground ball rate. It's insane. Where? And where did those ground balls go? Yeah, right up the middle. We all know that. But uh you know, <laughs> we're not gonna Yeah, we're not gonna employ any shift even though we know that every single ground ball that gets hit by the guys tends to go right back up the middle, you know, when they actually yeah. do wait back on it. Uh, yeah, but he also had like a 12, you know, like almost a 12 K to nine, you know, and uh, 
I didn't particularly care for his walks per nine, which was uh, 4.63, but that was also earlier on in the season, really bloated his numbers up. Um, I'd have to go and look at his splits, but I would have to assume that uh, May and June for uh, May, June and July, probably for Aaron Bummer, I'd say his his walks per nine were probably pretty catastrophically awful. Um, but, you know, overall, I think his uh, his numbers are pretty pretty stinking solid. I'm happy with it. So, and you know, at the end of the year, he comes up with a 1.2 WAR, which, you know, when you saw when you saw his May, June, uh, and April, you would not have guessed that he at the end of the year you're going to be looking at a at a 1.2 WAR. Right. Um. Yeah, I mean, obviously. There were some really ugly performances. Um, Matt Foster, that inning uh, versus the uh, Mariners uh, early in the season, where he was left in to die. Um, he did eight end- runs. Yeah, he uh, he threw thirty nine innings this last season. Uh, it felt like all of them were in that game, but that was uh, less than one inning which is uh, quite odd to see him with 39 innings pitched and knowing that that one inning was, <laughs> I don't know, pro- probably uh, a third of his ERA for the season uh, is my guess. But, um, yeah. Uh, also, there's uh, actually Mike Wright actually had a, uh, a fairly uh, – look fairly productive um, when you look at his stat line uh, for all the complaining that was done about uh, Mike Wright being Mike, Mike wrong. Mike wrong. Yeah. yeah. I think he actually uh, did turn in a fairly solid performance in the majors uh, and his stat line in triple a was really nice and, and uh, very well needed uh, eating up innings down there in a known launch pad. Um, so uh, Alex McRae came up, not so great. Not terrible. Uh, Ryan Burr, uh, he had his moments. Um, Ronaldo came up, did a fairly good job uh, now that he can see. Um, Jose Ruiz, workhorse. Um, second most innings in the bullpen through 65.0 innings this season. Now, would you have thought in – a hundred years that that would be something that we'd be saying in the bullpen, the bullpen uh, gradings show. Would we be talking about Jose Ruiz being the second busiest reliever in the bullpen? Well, since they since they didn't have Jimmy Cordero, someone had to be it. There is yeah. definitely that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but yeah. when you, when you when you whoa hey there, come on now, whoa. what are you doing there, guy? Um, yeah, Adobe was like, hey guys, how you doing? Um, anywho, uh, yeah, Jose Ruiz, eight point seven two K per nine, so quote unquote pitching to contact, um, which I'm almost a hundred percent sure was not the. Uh, not the intent of what he was going for. 
Um, but that's where he ended up being with a 8.72K per nine. Um, his BABIP, however, was only a 246. So he did get the ball hit to uh, hit to some defenders. Uh, his XFIP is 4.26, which ends up being, you know, significantly higher than his ERA, which says that uh, more or less that he's hitting the, he's having the ball hit right at guys. So um, maybe the White Sox employed the shift. Maybe that they did maybe. with someone else. Yeah, maybe they only applied the shift for Jose Ruiz because they're like, you know what, we want to make him look competent. So here's what we're gonna do. Um, Cody Hoyer ends up with the uh, with a .5 WAR for the White Sox this year, um, despite that uh, fairly terrible. Uh, I guess I can't say really terrible, but the unremarkable. Uh, half season that he had with the White Sox and he still managed to pull out a half war. So not going to lie. I actually, uh, I was actually kind of sad to see him go. Cause I feel like, uh, it's a, it's a kid with, uh, with, you know, I, I feel like he's got some distance in his career. Uh, you know, he's just got a nice smooth throwing style that doesn't look like he's uh prone to injury and uh, just really kind of had some promise. You know, I know the Sox felt like they needed to make the move that they made that uh, sent him on his way, but uh, yeah, uh, would have liked to see more from him. Well, just my opinion, just like you know, talking about uh, Jose Ruiz, aka uh, Jimmy Cordero, part two. Um, if you talk <laughs> about uh, Cody Hoyer <laughs> in the exact Opposite, uh, Cody Hoyer had a 5.12 ERA, but his XFIP is 3.69. So it shows that he was very unlucky in what was going on for him. So, and also his BABIP was 3.60. So that right there says, you know, that he was just extremely unlucky because there's no way in hell that he should be giving up a 360 BABIP with how nasty his stuff is. And he just got really unlucky, and that happens to be where he's at. So it shouldn't have really been too much of a surprise that when he went over to uh, the dark side that his numbers magically got better, you know? So... um, There is entirely too many names in here to go through and do um, every single one. Every single guy, so I don't think we're even going to attempt to do that. Um, I would say that uh, we can go with uh, closer setup and then middle relief and just go ahead and do it that way. Sure, I'm down with that. Um, I don't think that there's going to be um, anything more unanimous ever. Um, other than Liam Hendricks getting an A. I mean, there's really not a whole lot. We we saw him give up a little bit more home runs than we would like to see, um, but it was something that we talked about quite a bit on this pod slash stream. Yeah, before so, he had ever thrown a ball for the White Sox, uh, we knew that 
just gauging off of his uh, previous season stats that uh, it looked like it, you know, it, it was bound to happen, especially in, uh, in the, in the G rate. So, uh, you know, we knew that was coming. My personal opinion is if you take, take just three, four of those four or five of those homers away that he gave up this season. And it, that a goes to an a plus plus, but yeah, pretty much unanimous on him. What do you think Xavier? Yeah, I don't think I should add anything else. For those few short games, we thought he would. Everyone went wild, like, "Oh my God, he what's what's going on?" But uh, we all saved the course, and he showed why they paid him the big bucks. Yeah, and one of the things that we mentioned while he was having those issues is that in those times where he was giving up the most home runs. Uh, the majority of the time, it happened to correspond with him not getting work for five days at a time. Well, is that yeah. he would have one of those times was like eight days without an appearance. Like that's yeah, there was a ton of rainouts, and uh, the situations didn't really call a whole lot for a save situation. So he didn't pitch a lot, which you know, in the grand scheme of things, when you look at it now is that maybe saving him those days and not getting him that you know that amount of uh pitches built up on his arm for that long of a you know period of the season it might have ended up working out okay however when he was giving up those home runs it was fairly obvious that it was because he had completely lost his feel for his pitches because the guy hadn't pitched in 2 weeks so right. i uh I was at a day game and then a night game where he gave up one of those home runs. And uh, it was funny about the day game. The day game was that doubleheader against the Mariners. He he gave up a home run in the first game. They end up losing. And everyone's like, oh, my goodness. But everyone forgets about that one just because he ended up coming in the second game and getting the save and closing out the game. Yeah, did both of a doubleheader. That was a, that was a good time. Um, yeah, I don't, obviously he did what he was paid to come here and do. And, uh, complaining about that, there's not really a whole lot to complain about. You know, there was a couple of home runs here and there and, uh, I'm not mad about it. I, that's a, I think that's an acceptable, uh, it was an acceptable season him, uh, with 38 saves, you know, obviously you'd like to see it. You'd like to see a couple more, um, but that's mostly due to uh, the fact that the offense is only scoring two runs, and you can't get a save when you're down five to two going into the ninth inning. So, yeah, and there's also the other side of that when you know you're up, you know, thirteen to two. Yeah, there was a couple of those as well that he ended up uh, not uh, faring too well going into games such as those. Um. Okay, so uh, setup roles. I would say that you'd probably have to go with uh, Aaron Bummer in that setup role because uh, I don't know. Um, you got any other uh, feeling on that about who would uh, who would get that that nod? It would have to be a uh, Aaron Bummer in the eighth. You think? Yeah. Well, you know, obviously we would. 
like to say that uh, the off season, or I'm sorry, the mid season acquisition of uh, Mr. Oh, Crimble. Yeah, well, there's also Tapera as well, but Crimble uh, was supposed to be that guy. So I guess yeah. we can uh, uh, kind of th- rate that differently. Yeah, it didn't quite work out. I would have to uh, agree with your original assessment. Um, you know, moving forward, we'll see how that uh, turns out. But, uh, you know, uh, as far as grades go, on, on let's well i mean are we going to throw out all three of those guys as the uh yeah the i mean we, we can just uh yeah might as well them all together yeah i mean <laughs> you want to grade them individually yeah i'd say we should probably do them individually because uh we know that uh craig uh mr crimble was cheeks oh, guy, yeah he did he did not uh he did not pitch well for the white Sox coming over Goes from a .55 ERA to a 5.09 ERA. Uh, pitches 23 innings, and um, yeah, it was not pretty. Um, no. I I'm gonna give that a uh, a D uh, because he did do a couple of things okay, but um, he uh, gets an F as opposed to, as opposed to what he was brought here to be doing uh he absolutely did not do what he was brought here to do which is yeah. unfortunate yeah uh let's just hope that you know it, it was a typical craig kimbrell uh you know i switch teams in the middle of a season type of thing and it's going to take me a little bit of time to get used to uh my new home and uh you know if they do in fact end up keeping him uh for this next season that we get the other uh we don't get Crimble, we get Kimbrel. Yeah, let's hope. For sure. So, uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I think if I'm gonna he give sticks him a, around, I'm going to give him a D minus just because you know he went out there and did it every day, and he he, he pitched in a position that uh, he was not. Uh, let's just say I don't know if he was wasn't happy about it, but uh, he's always been pretty vocal about being the the guy in the closer role. So I'll give him a D minus. I won't give him an F just because he went out there and he took one for the team and, and pitched in the eighth inning instead of the ninth for the most part. Xavier? What do you got, Xavier? Give him the D. Give him the D. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's our, that's our uh, fabulous chat room uh, throwing out there uh, pokes, if you will. Pokes with the D. <laughs> F minus. <laughs> yeah, Colton says yeah. F minus. What do you got on yeah. Kimbrel, Xavier? I'll give him a D as well. Uh, there was, as terrible as he was, I think that's fair point you made about him just coming in and competing. There were a few games mixed in where he looked like what we wanted out of him. And we saw that uh, there's a few of those uh, box scores where it's like, Hopek, uh, Kimbrel, Hendricks, where they were just lights out, all three of them. And, but unfortunately, we didn't get enough of those. So, so I, I'll give him a D as well. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, one of those things where he had a couple of games where he had some really, really nice stat lines, but then there were far too many of those where he was giving up five runs, you know, in an inning. So, um, Kimbrel. Crimble gets the Cy Young, says Colton. I'm going to go ahead and 
disagree. Yeah, I'm going to veto that one. Uh, <laughs> we, I think we should move on from Kimbrel because our chat's getting a little getting uh, a little restless and uh, hand. Yeah, chippy. they're getting a little out of hand. <laughs> one, one last one last thing, and uh, like we've seen from uh, other people, at least just trying to think back on it. I feel a lot. There were a lot of those times where he he was ahead in the, some accounts and ended up quickly evening them out and then getting rocked and whether it was uh on walks and then getting uh, home runs hit off of him but a lot of that was on him yeah, yeah i kind of tend to agree i think he had the same issue as uh you know keiko but keiko getting ahead on guys and then you know trying to picasso them and paint corners and you know you then you start losing batters and before you know it you're throwing up beach balls yeah, you know it's it's not uh, it's not eighteen point walks per nine. Uh, you know, like our uh, relief pitcher, your mean Mercedes, but uh, <laughs> you know he was he was almost at a four Which, if you look at uh, the rest of the, you know, it's it's not good. That's for that's for sure. The uh, the couple times where he came out and got three guys out in a row and didn't walk anybody. That uh, tended to that obviously brought down his uh, walks per nine significantly for the 23 innings that he did pitch. Um, so uh, Ryan Tapera only ended up pitching 18 innings, um, but as mentioned before, he did have a uh, career year. Uh, ended up here with a 2.5 WAR, uh, 12.0 K per nine, and 3.5 uh, walks per nine. Um, with a .5 home runs per nine, which is uh, significantly better than uh, Mr. Crimble with his uh, 1.96 home run per nine. So uh, I will go ahead and give uh, Ryan Tapera an A because he came over and did everything that that he was brought here to do um, for the lesser of the... Uh, the lesser of the costs, he ended up doing far more than uh, Mr. Crimble did. Agreed. Agreed. And I'm I'm still hoping that uh, you know they they in fact do uh, extend him an offer and keep him around because uh, you know his peripherals look pretty good too, and I think uh, you know he could be a a solid uh, bullpen arm for uh, the coming season as well. I, I I recently saw oh. from Oh Waffle House. Thanks for the follow, Waffle House. Smothered and covered, baby. Let's go. Smothered and covered. Oh. He's going for it. He's going to the Waffle House. Get him, Tony. Get him. It's uh it's the, the Tony the TLR uh TLR shuffle. Butt plug run. <laughs> Is it the butt plug run? The MLB uh auction butt plug run. Game worn. <laughs> butt plug game worn. i don't know if you guys yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna stop saying the uh, butt plug on uh, the twitch here <laughs> yeah so uh what are you thinking there uh xavier you got uh what do you got there for uh tepera uh I'm, I'm also dropping an a for him and i hope he gets re-signed as well uh, i recently saw from shy socks mike that he posted a screenshot of like a google search and saw the Google part where it shows the Wikipedia Wikipedia headline of like the basic information, and Ryan Tapera is the 
His his actual name is Dennis. Uh, so I would love for Ryan to go by Dennis, and then have marketing campaigns or Dennis the Menace. Oh, and there you go. Hey, I would like to spearhead that for him. So maybe I gotta get in touch with Ryan, Ryan, and ask about a name change, and so he only gets called Dennis now. Yeah, uh, if you spearhead it, I'm I'm on that train, man. Let's do this. Hashtag the menace. Yep, I'm on. I'm on board. Um, so Aaron Bummer. Um. That first couple months was was pretty stinking rough. Um, I'd have to say probably a uh, a D minus for uh, those first couple of months because it seemed like he could not find his release point uh, for like weeks at a time. Um, very very inconsistent. But then the last couple months of the season. I would give him a B plus, so I'm going to round that out to a C because he was really bad in the beginning, really good at the end, so kind of just meets right in the middle. Drapera. Yeah, uh, I'm with you on that. Uh, I I kind of am feeling pretty close to the same. I was gonna go with a C minus just because of how rough the uh, the first half was for him. I was, I mean, you talk about cheeks. This guy got absolutely drummed. Uh, you know, his first uh, few months of the season, and you know when you break down the season, it's nearly six months of baseball. Uh, and you're taking only the last two to really kind of go and say he did what he was supposed to do or what we've known him to do in the past. Uh, I, I can't quite round it to a full C, but I'll go C minus on him. Xavier? Bummer! I was just looking up something. I'm going to give him a C plus. I think looking, look, looking back on it, I don't think it was as bad as we all think it was i think it was really a few a, a few games that were like just terrible but grass or what what you want out of a guy so i'll give him a, a c plus especially uh, he finishing you want to we talked about the white Sox not uh performance where we wanted them in september and right uh, Aaron Bummer was one of those guys that took it to another level. That was great to see a guy to finish strong. Flipped it on him. Yeah. yeah. I flipped that. Uh, let's hope he uh, carries that into next season. Yeah. Uh, let's hope. Uh, so middle relief stuff. Um, I'd say middle relief. Uh, we could go uh, Crochet, Kopech, Hoyer, Ruiz, Reynaldo, uh, Burr and Marshall and uh, Foster. Just. I guess you throw him in there as well because he had 39 innings. Um, so you can't discount what he did there. And I'm going to uh, say that there were a couple of guys. I'd say the average of all of them, C. <laughs> because yeah. Kopech and Crochet 
and uh, Hoyer ended up being okay. He pitched better than his support was. I mean, you see the BABIP that we talked about earlier. Uh, Ruiz did way better than he should have. Um, Overall, I'd say with the amount of innings that they did eat, um, I think that they did pretty good. (laughs) I mean... This is one of those one of those episodes where I just sound really wishy washy, and that I'm not going to give anybody a bad grade for the most part. But I mean, realistically, for what you expect out of middle relief, these guys were pretty fantastic for the most part. There were a couple outliers, obviously. Uh, Aaron Marshall or uh, Evan Marshall did not have a good season, but he ends up, uh, you know, on that TJ train. So you you wonder how much uh you know how much of a you know what was leading up to that uh Yeah, was he pitching through some pain before that uh before that thing snapped on him? Yeah. Possibility. Yeah, cuz you saw but, you saw him pitch before and he's really nasty when he's on. Oh, he's and it was pil- clear that this year for the most part like since the very beginning of the season has not been on. So Yeah. And we, you got to think about some of those games where some of these mineral relief guys are there just to eat the innings and kind of get bullied for the day because they just need someone to be there. This is true. This is true. Uh, and, you know, just kind of slightly piggybacking off of what uh, Ian was saying, uh, you know, we talk about guys like Crochet and Kopech. You know, and Crochet, obviously, you know, after what we saw of him in 2020, you were kind of hoping for more of the same in 21, but, uh, you know, right there in the, in the playoffs in 2020 against the, the, uh, athletics, you know, we, we, we saw him come out of that game with, uh, some arm, some elbow soreness and some of us thought the worst. And, uh, luckily he was able to, uh, pitch an entire season this year out of the bullpen without, uh, any surgery or major damage, but we did see the drop in velocity, which, uh, Kind of seemed to have an effect on how often he was touched up. Uh, you know, and if we maybe we get the guy, you know, with a stretched out arm next year that finds triple digits again, you know, uh, we could be looking at a, a real, real stud of a guy in the bullpen. But yeah, you got guys like him and, and Kopech and a couple of the others that bring that grade up. But then you've got the guys who, you know, you don't want to give anybody a bad grade. But let's be honest, man, there were some stinkers in there. There were some stinkers, and, you know, yeah, sure, it's easy to average out to that C, but, you know, these are those holes in the bullpen that we're talking about that uh, we're hoping uh, Mr. Hahn addresses here in the offseason. So I will also give him a C, but, you know, to say that we're not going to give anybody a bad grade uh, is, I don't know that I can necessarily agree 100% with the not giving anyone a bad grade. Oh, no, yeah, I'm not saying I'm not going to give anybody a bad grade, but just for, like, saying, oh, I'll, I'll give him a C, and I'm just giving him a C because you know you're averaging out. Like Kopech, for the most part, was pretty fantastic. Gary Crochet, same thing. Even despite only throwing 96 as opposed to 102 coming out of the bullpen, right. he still managed to get outs. His right, you know, he did get a little bit of help from uh, you know 
some balls being hit right to fielders. He got he got some of that luck there. I'm not going to disagree with that, but for the most part, you know, for for what middle re- you expect out of middle relief pitchers on, you know, compared to the other teams in Major League Baseball, when I look at the White Sox middle relief versus looking at the middle relief for a bunch of other teams, I feel much better about what the White Sox have in that middle relief role. That's why I don't want to give them a, you know, I don't want to go and throw anybody under the bus, despite, you know, the fact that we did have some subpar performances from guys, you know? I mean, you also had overachieving from some guys, you know, that you should not have gotten that from, like, say, a Jose Ruiz, where, you know, like, we're ready to launch him into the sun, and then all of a sudden he turns into one of the best relief pitchers on the team for a couple of months in the beginning of the season. So, you know... Another one of those guys at times. Um, he did obviously have a, a few games where he just was terrible. But uh, Ryan Burr, Ryan Burr, I, I early on I really liked them because actually missing all of last season, coming off injury, started off really really strong, and then I think in late late June or something he had I think three three total games that were just really bad where he didn't last long. He did have, I think, five total games where he went two innings, long, like no hits, which is was obviously. Think we lost Xavier? I think we did lose him. Yeah, and, and you know, I'll I'll agree with that on the. Uh, oh, there we oh, are. Hey, there there he are. is. Uh, oh, what I miss. All right, so yeah, you were just talking about uh, Aaron Burr and uh, or Ryan Burr, not the guy who got into Burr. the uh, into the duel. Yeah, um, but yeah. Uh, that there were a couple of couple of two inning. Uh, all, the, all these uh, different names, I'm keep getting mixed up. But Ryan Burr was who I was thinking of. Uh, yeah i'll agree you know what it's almost like a guy that came back from tommy john it's almost like he's gonna throw less innings and he's gonna run into dead arm it's almost like Ah, that i'm glad you said it because that was actually my next question yeah and and i was glad to xavier brought him up because he did look really fantastic early on yeah and then we saw uh a a nosedive actually the decline happened rather quickly and you know that was my question was how much of that do you think is it from a is is coming from a guy who's coming off a long injury layoff and uh not seeing any time last season to uh kind of being thrown to the wolves this year and uh you answered that question for me already so i'm glad that uh you guys brought that up well, did I, did you happen to see that uh, that YouTube video about Ryan Burr and his rehab? Did you happen to watch that? Uh, I don't think I have. I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna find that and throw that in the uh, throw that in the that uh, a link for that up in the chat because it's uh, it's it's a little bit of a longer watch for uh, what you would expect uh, looking at on YouTube, but um, it's it's definitely worth the watch. Pretty pretty interesting stuff. Um. When I was started talking about Ryan Burr, for some reason, I don't know why I'm confusing <laughs> these names today. I was still thinking about uh, Aaron Bummer. But uh, 
he had I I know we got cut off, so I don't remember what you guys heard, but I had said uh he had some strong longer relief appearances of two plus innings. And then one thing for next year that I hope we see an improvement on was he was walking a lot of guys. Uh and overall, I, he was a, one of the pitchers I, I almost was, like, rooting for, like, a ton. Like, following, like, we, we obviously got the big guns in Kopech and uh, Crochet and Campbell and Hendricks. But of those guys near the bottom or, like, the lesser talk about names, that was one of the guys I was rooting for to see success from. Yeah, it was nice to see him get, you know, get some run and come back from the TJ, especially. And like, I think that you'll have a, if you have not seen that YouTube video, watch that YouTube video. I think you'll have a, a slightly different view of Ryan Burr after that, especially after having watched that, see what he's gone through. Um, yeah. You know, I'm going to have to ask you to uh, text me that link after the uh, show because you know apparently my chat gave out on me yet again so uh ah gotcha it's uh the the actual video itself is called reconstruction the realities of tommy john featuring ryan burr well, that's um, awful wording for a uh oh it's you know it's a, it is a uh it's an, an original film uh by this Roger. this uh youtube page called momentum and uh it's real interesting and you know see the uh the amount of work and uh, the emotion that comes, you know, through on this thing—it's pretty, pretty awesome to watch. Um, so definitely check that out. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll fire fire you over that link uh, when we get a second here. And uh, right, right yeah, one last name that I would like to talk about in in the uh, middle relief section of our uh, bullpen grades here. Uh, it, we have talked about a little bit in the past, but we haven't talked about it much at all tonight is, uh, Reynaldo. Uh, you know, and we've brought up God knows how many times over about how, uh, you know, he went and got the uh, laser surgery done on his eyes and how effective you can be when you're not guessing which fingers the catcher is throwing <laughs> down and, uh, how that might affect your game plan as a pitcher. Uh, and I gotta say, you know, we talk about guys, you know, we, we can talk about the clunkers all we want to, but, you know, there's another one of those guys that has, you know, stepped up in a, a role that was something that, you know, he wasn't necessarily used to, being that he was a starter for the better part of his career. And uh, he really kind of filled in nicely for the White Sox coming up. And, you know, there were a couple of appearances where I know he just didn't seem to have his best stuff out there. But uh, you and I talked about this when we were still in podcast form before we went live on Twitch here about how we felt and we'd heard, we'd been hearing about how uh, Mr. West had been uh, working with him and talking about talking up his, uh, his curveball and bringing his breaking stuff back and how dangerous he was in 2018 when we saw the best of Raylo. Or was it 2018 or 2019? 2018. 2018, yeah. 2018, we saw the best of Raylo and how devastating that. Yeah, because 2018, he was he looked like he was going to be the guy, and Giolito looked like he was going to be uh, out of the league in two years, and uh, the next year it was completely flipped. Right. So, you know, uh, I don't think he gets enough credit for the role that he was in, 
Uh, I know most folks in our chat, you know, educated White Sox fans <laughs> will agree with me on this, but, uh, you know, he was pretty outstanding and, uh, you know, another one of those guys that's going to bring that grade up a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, he was only a 0.3 war, but, uh, you know, in 20 innings that, uh, fairly decent, uh, amount of work to be done as you were saying. And much better when he was in relief too. like the, the starts were whatever they just had, they needed a guy, but he was really strong in those relief appearances. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Uh, you know, I I would say that in his starts, I was a little bit uh, not as um, impressed as his relief runs. But overall, I mean, you come through with a 2.2 ERA at the end of the year. I mean, granted, it was only in, you know, what, 20, 20.1 innings. It's not really... You know, it's a, obviously a small sample size, but I'm pretty. I I have at least a little bit of uh, faith that um, he might be able to come back and uh, do that again for a full season. You know, if he if he's going to yeah. be one of those middle relief guys, I feel like he could actually be like a uh, like a stopper guy in the middle innings. Yeah, and, you know, you think about the situation that he came into as well. Uh, you know, he jumped into that position, to that role, when the Sox were pretty much stretched at their thinnest point, injury-wise, over the season. And uh, if you remember when that was happening, there was a lot of guesses as to who was going to be the next man up. You know, it wasn't locked that Raylo was going to be coming in. You know, we had a, a few names that we had tossed around, and and not just us. That was being bandied about by all Sox fans, uh, you know, across all social media. And for him to come in when they were stretched as thin as they were and do the things he did was uh, pretty impressive. This wasn't <laughs> didn't Raylo get like lit up a lot this year in the. Uh... The miners, he didn't have the like a great season. He did, like yeah. And the thing is, is that he was mostly starting when he was down there. So maybe there's a correlation there that just the mindset of being a starter might not be what he's suited for. That he's better as a as, as a middle relief guy. He had very subpar numbers at uh, at Charlotte. Um, I have not looked at them in a while. I'll bring those up it- right now. And if what we saw last year, I, I wonder what kind of discussions in-house they're having. But it would be nice to see them kind of just work with him and see if that's something he's willing to do long-term and be in the in the bullpen and, for the whole season instead of uh, trying to get him back into being a starting pitcher. Yeah, I, I see where you're going with that. But I got to think that, you know, looking at the way the rotation is set up now, uh, you know, honestly, if I'm Ronaldo Lopez and I'm I'm asked that question, I think I'm going to jump all over the opportunity to pitch out of the bullpen because I think, you know, as we've seen, his days as a starter are uh, pretty much over, I think, at least in a White Sox uniform. Um, and uh, his success last year in the bullpen is another one of those things, but you know, which you, no, go I, ahead. I think, 
Okay. I, I think so, too. And that's what I hope happens. But with the like starting pitching questions that they have and him being there and like for a guy that they can just toss in here and there, I can also see him being like, I don't know if I'm ready to be in the bullpen just because it looks like you guys have a lot of questions at the back of end of your starting rotation, which you which that's where I could be used. Well, yeah, that's that's entirely possible, Reynaldo. Uh, I appreciate you coming to me with this, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, read you out this stat line. Uh, ten games, <laughs> ten games started, one win, six losses, with a 7.62 ERA in 39 innings pitched, uh, six home runs, 53 hits, 33 earned runs in 39 against minor innings league hitters against AAA yeah. hitters. No bueno. Yeah, no bueno at all. 50 strikeouts versus 21 walks. What happened there? Uh, like I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm playing the uh the role of uh arbitration lawyer for the White Sox and uh you are playing the role of Reynaldo getting his booty spanked. <laughs> <laughs> it's the norm. Well, when you put it like that. <laughs> Yeah, so I uh, yeah I would agree. I it, to me it seems like he's probably best served as a uh, a middle relief guy, um, at least for the time being. If he can show that every single time he comes out there, he's in the mental headspace to go out there and get outs. Maybe at some point you do give him a shot at, uh, you know, doing something other than being an opener. But as of right now, even as an opener for the White Sox, he was you know he didn't fare that well either as just an opener where he only had to pitch a couple innings right off the you know right out of the gate. Um, so to me, it's it seems like it would probably be the best option for him to to be able to uh, to do that middle relief role at least for a little while. So. Yeah. Uh, is that uh, is that good for you guys on the uh, on the um, the relief core as it was? I, I I feel pretty confident with that. Let's take a look here. Waffle House, a White Sox channel. Glad I came up on this. Go Sox, man! I hope we get some bullpen help. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, the uh, free agent market. There there are some guys out there. I. I mean, Tapera did last year have his his uh, quote unquote career year for his uh, effectiveness. So I have to imagine that they're at least going to try and approach him about coming back. Um, you guys have any other uh, targets that you guys are looking at for somebody that uh, either a that you'd want back or uh, that you're looking at for uh, the White Sox grab? Uh, if I'm being completely honest, the uh, the bullpen market is actually probably the one thing I really haven't spent a lot of time looking at yet, just because I think uh, I would rather see the money spent uh, elsewhere. And, you know, as we've talked about on the show before, the one thing that you can almost bank on year in and year out is the White Sox can develop young pitching that uh, fit well in a bullpen role. Uh, it's been something they've been doing for as long as I can remember, and uh, I just feel like there's options there. So, 
Uh, I'm, I'm just kind of hoping that we see some of these younger arms kind of come through, make their way up. I know a lot of people are going to say this isn't the time to be playing with that kind of stuff, and we want to see some consistency and yada, yada, yada. But, again, I will point at their successes in the development in that department, and uh, that's about as far as I'm willing to go with that. Yeah, well, I, you know, if you were paying attention uh, this week, the uh, the White Sox ended up throwing um, – Jason Billis and uh, Bennett Souza from Charlotte on the um, on the forty man, and uh, Bennett Souza, nice nice left handed arm, you know, looked really good with Charlotte this year. Um, looked great with the Barons before he was promoted. Um, they, you know, as you mentioned, they are shockingly good at developing bullpen arms, and this season was no different. I mean, there are a couple of guys coming up f- through the minors that have uh, also uh, and- Anderson Severino, also another one of those guys throws 100 million, you know, miles an hour and uh sometimes doesn't know exactly where it's going. Um this was talked about uh on uh the 108 uh podcast with Sleepy Harold the other day. Um that uh Severino was part of that uh previously mentioned by myself uh inning where they walked uh i think it was 12 guys in one inning uh gave up 11 10 or 11 runs in one inning uh the two major players in that inning were alec hansen and anderson severino and uh severino got thrown on the 40 man and uh he ramped it up as the season went as well uh had some really nice innings for the knights later on in the season he's another one of those guys you know um, kind of just comes in from nowhere. He's one of those uh, pro player personnel guys, you know, that gets snagged up by the uh, the front office, which is a nice plug for next week where we are going to go over the catching situation and also uh, grade the management slash front office. So that's going to be a fun one because there's a bunch of different angles to take on that and uh, – a bunch of different ways that we can sit here and complain for a couple hours. So, <laughs> so yeah. I think we'll definitely end known, up on that. We've been known to do once or twice, you know, <laughs> get stuck in a rut talking about uh, the same thing for a little while. Yeah. Let's, you know, but you know, um, so uh, I think we'll go ahead and call it for the, uh, call it for the week. Um, for everybody that uh, came and followed today, um, Voodoo Waffle House, appreciate the uh, follows. Uh, I think there's somebody else in there, but I forget. Um, thank you for the follows. Thanks for coming and hanging out in the chat. And uh, Oh, and a, a quick shout-out to uh, uh, Justin Gershley. Justin Gershley? Yeah. Didn't he uh, just recently win an award? I don't know. Did he? Did I miss something? I believe he, uh, yeah. he won one of the uh, coaching awards. No kidding. There's yes. You. What did I miss? How did I miss that? He was either a finalist or, or a winner. Oh, well, but, fantastic. Uh, I, know, I know Justin Gershley, uh, one, uh Yeah, he was either a finalist or a winner of one of the coaching awards. So just a quick shout out to him. Yeah, well, I know those. Uh, I know that the guys in double A love Jersh a lot and uh, everybody that's basically been with him i've heard nothing but great things about the guy um 
one of those guys who's uh, probably sooner than later probably going to end up in uh, as a, at least as a bench coach or something like that up in uh, up in a big league park somewhere within the next couple of years is my, just just my guess. Um, but hopefully uh, it's here. We'll see. You know, uh, it's you know, kind of one of those things. I I don't know exactly what the White Sox plans are. Um, obviously, uh, but um, it seems like there's definitely a possibility that he could end up as part of a major league staff within the next couple of years, and I would certainly not be surprised if it was here. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, uh, go ahead and call it for the week. Um, this has been White Sox Daily Live. Um, st- we're here uh, streaming every Monday night at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Daily White Sox on Twitter. Uh, there's a Facebook page uh, for White Sox Daily. Um, there is a Substack for White Sox Daily, which you can find on the interwebs as well. Uh, I know that uh, this is going to be our last uh, review sh- uh, review show for the majors, um, but we are going to move on to minor league stuff, and I know that we are going to uh, have a couple of guests coming up here in the uh, – in the next month or so now that uh, the regular season is winding down a little bit, uh, we're going to start expanding our uh, content a little bit to uh, have some other members of the uh, White Sox Twitter and, uh, you know, podcast slash streaming um, community uh, join us on, on this here stream. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye out on the uh, Twitters and all the other places so you can see who's going to be on. Um My name is Ian Eskridge. For my co-host, Xavier Sanchez and Danny Miller, uh, we appreciate you guys coming in. Uh, Thanks a lot, and have a great night.